You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Okay, our text this morning comes from Luke 10, 25 to 37. <clears throat> then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit inter- eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell in the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he had arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. When he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. This is God's word. All right, good morning. If you didn't catch my name before, my I'm Aaron, one of the pastors here, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a joy to uh, be able to open up the, the scriptures together. If you um, have a Bible, turn to, to Luke chapter 10. If you don't, we have some on the table back there we'd, we'd be happy to, to share with you, or you can look on with, with somebody next to you. I always want the, uh, you know, the, the Bible, the, the scripture to, to be the authority, <clears throat> and then my words to hopefully, you know, help, help draw out some truth from it, but it's the authority, and, and I want for us to be able to, to kind of follow along and, and point back to, to God's word and, and not Aaron's word. Um, yeah, we'll be looking at a few other passages, but um, I want to use this, you know, this familiar story of the parable of the Good Samaritan um, to kind of help us understand service. Um, so first of all, we'll, we'll kind of focus on the, the interaction between Jesus and this expert in the law um, to to show that we need the gospel um, as the basis for our service, and then we'll we'll dive in a little closer to look at the at the parable to see you know what what gospel driven service looks like. Um, this is you know I mentioned a, a few minutes ago, but this is a continuation of our our series looking at our core values. Um, you know we we started it off a couple weeks ago talking about being centered on the gospel and and how that shapes the way that we the pray the way that we pray the way that we see ourselves the way that we see God it sets the foundation for who we are as a church and uh the first you know first characteristic that we want to define us as as a church is as community that we are united around the gospel Chad um preached from um first Corinthians 13 the love chapter talking about how we should be a community that's that's marked by love community defined by love we also want to be a community defined by service. Um, so we want to serve 
the way that this Samaritan did, the way that Jesus served us. Before we dive in, let's let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your kindness and your grace to us. Thank you for for Jesus and and how he was he was able to to meet the standard that we, that we could never meet. He's able to to be the the kind of neighbor that we can never be. To love you without ever falling short. We thank you for the way that you allow us to to be brought into your family, be brought into your community because of what Jesus has done for us. Pray that you would help us to always turn away from from our way, always turn to to your way, to believe in you, to to trust you, to feel served by you so that we can serve others. Thank you thank you for uh just the opportunity to open up your script yeah, open up your scriptures and um, pray that you would speak to us through it. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this is a, a familiar story to us, even at King's Cross Church. We we went through it last last summer as we were going through the parables. Um, but I want to look at it again and, and see this particular takeaway of, of how it can help shape our, our service. I don't know if you've seen the, the movie Now You See Me. It's a movie about these magicians. About 10 years old, I'm going to spoil it, but you've had a, had a chance to watch it. Um, so these four magicians, they, their, uh, their show is that they, they drop money from the sky, and, or not the sky, the ceiling. Um, and all the, the crowd gets the, the money, and at the same time, this, this rich guy, his, his vault is emptied. And, and so the cops are after them, after the mis- magicians trying to figure out, you know, how they stole the money from, from this guy. And um, there's this one scene where the, you know, one of the magicians is, is in handcuffs and, and the FBI agent that's after him is, is interrogating him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a magician, so he gets out of the handcuffs and he puts the handcuffs on the FBI agent. And he says, you always have to, always have to be the smartest person in the room. And then... Later, it turns out that the, you know, the kind of super magician guy behind the scenes that's has kind of given instructions to these magicians was actually that, that cop, that FBI agent. And so the magician, you know, he, he's like, so when I said, you know, that you have to be the smartest person in the room, the FBI agent, agent is like, yeah, we're, we were in agreement because he was actually the smartest person in the room, so he knew it. That's kind of the, the idea that I see in this, in this passage. This expert in the law is coming to Jesus thinking that he's going to, you know, kind of pull one over on him, thinking, thinking that he's going to test him. But Jesus is the word, right? He is the law. He is the truth. And so this expert in the law comes, and he, he's trying to figure out the standard of how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus is showing him that he's not even on the right, you know, grading scale. So um, it's just kind of this this scene of of the expert in the law just is just missing it and Jesus is going to show him how how he misses it and then you know we know now that that Jesus shows with his life that even though the standard is so far beyond what this expert in the law is expecting Jesus met that standard he made the way for us so let's let's look through the text you know the first thing we we see verse 
Verse 25, this expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So we know, like, right here at the very beginning, we see that, that the motivation of this expert in the law is, is bad. Right? He comes and he stands up to test Jesus. Our motivation shouldn't, shouldn't be that. It shouldn't be coming to test Jesus, but rather it should be submissive. It should be open to how Jesus would speak through it to us. Sometimes as, as pastors, we get questions that you know are clearly skewed. Somebody checks out our website and sees our email on there and they send us this list of questions. And we know that you know if we don't give the answers that they want, they're going to write us off and go find some other church. That's kind of the, the attitude that I feel like this lawyer has, right? He wants Jesus to meet his standard. When, when we get those questions, we want to be gracious, not just write them off, but we also need to be wise. That's how Jesus does it too. He points, him, points this expert in the law back to the, back to the law, back to the scriptures. The, the lawyer says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? So Jesus points him to the scriptures. He's an expert in the law. How does he read it? He responds with kind of a, a common response from, from this day that the rabbis would, would kind of put these, these two truths together as, as kind of summing up the, the law, summing up the Old Testament. Verse 27, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says that he's correct. You know, verse 28, you've answered correctly. Do this and and you will live. That's all you need to do, right? You You only need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, then you'll live. Verse 29, the man wants to wants to justify himself. So he asks Jesus, who is, who is my neighbor? I think you can, you can kind of justify yourself in, in multiple directions, right? You can, you can know that you did something wrong and you, uh, you make excuses for it. I see that a lot in my kids and, you know, when I, when I was a kid with my brother, um, just the siblings, like, why, why did you hit your brother? Uh, well, he hit me first, or he yelled at me. He deserved it. Like making excuses, justifying myself. I, I had the right to, to do what I did, even though it was the wrong thing. You can also justify yourself in, in the other direction, where you think that you're right, you think you're, you're good, you, you meet the standard, and you want to prove it. That's kind of the idea that I, I see here, that he wants to justify himself. He thinks that he meets the, the standard written out in the law. He completely skips over the, the God part. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Says that he does that. Of course, I'm, I love God. And so he is trying to justify himself and, and he's asking, who is, who is my neighbor? So Jesus answers him with this familiar story, this parable. He says, the man was, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell in the hands of robbers. This is a, a dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's, it's kind of mountainous. There's a lot of caves, a lot of places for 
you know, for robbers to, to hide and, you know, look for travelers by themselves that, that they could rob. It's a familiar situation for Jesus' listeners here. So as Jesus, he continues, you know, the, the man has fell into the hands of robbers. He's stripped, beat up, and left half dead. This priest comes. He happened to be going down that road. And then in the same way, a Levite comes. In the Old Testament, um, a lot of times they, they refer say the Israelites in, in three categories, right? He says, they said that the, um, you know, they're, they're priests, they're Levites, and then the people. So as they're, as they're saying, you know, people are doing stuff, they say the priests, the Levites, and, and the people. And so as the, as Jesus is telling this, this story, and he, he sets up the priest, the Levite, and then the listeners would probably anticipate just a, a regular person. And, because the, the priests and the Levite, you know, exemplary people, because they pass by on the other side, they're, they're probably expecting that this third person, this normal person, is going to pass by on the other side. But Jesus throws this curveball, right, where, where the Samaritan comes in. You guys are probably familiar with the, the animosity between Jews and Samaritans. Jews look at, at, Samaritan, at Samaritans as as theologically off, right? The Samaritans only have the, the first five books of the scriptures, the, the Torah. Um, you know, they don't have anything from Joshua, Psalms, Chronicles, all that, all that stuff that the, the Jews would, would have and would hold as, as scripture. The Samaritans didn't. And so they, they say that they, they worship the wrong thing. They're missing it. And since they're, they're neighbors, they're close by, there's this animosity between them. And so this, this Samaritan coming in, if the priest and the Levite didn't do the, the right thing, then surely the Samaritan's not going to either. So Jesus just totally surprises us as he says that the Samaritan came over and had compassion. You know, he cared for him. After that, you know, crazy turn of events, the evil Samaritan turns out to be the good guy. Jesus asked this expert in the law, who proved to be a neighbor? Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? This expert in the law doesn't even want to say the word Samaritan. Right? He just says, the one who showed mercy to him. This phrase here where, where it says proof to be a neighbor. This is such a cool phrase because it's, it's like became a neighbor, right? It's just putting those words together that, that you wouldn't think of, of being together, right? You think neighbor as, as something that just is or, or isn't, right? Do you live in my neighborhood? Yes, then you're my neighbor. Otherwise not. But rather, Jesus shows this, this new perspective of of being able to become somebody's neighbor. To prove to be a neighbor. So as the expert in the law is, is asking, justifying himself, who is my neighbor? He's kind of asking, who's not my neighbor? Right? Who, who can I write out that I don't have to, to love as myself? Who am I expected to, to do that to? And Jesus, 
you know, shows that, that this Samaritan, this enemy, became a neighbor. And that's the, the standard. That's what you have to do to inherit eternal life. Go and do the same. Go meet that standard. Let's just let's sit with that for a second and, and, and just put yourself in the, in the lawyer's shoes here. He's hoping to, to test Jesus to get this achievable standard of, of what you have to do to inherit eternal life. How much do you have to love God? How much do you have to love your neighbors? Who are your neighbors? And Jesus takes that search for the standard and just kind of just blows it out of the water. So if that happens, if that's what you have to be to be a neighbor, to follow the law, if you, ha- if you, you really have to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind. Do we have what it takes to meet these requirements? Absolutely not. This lawyer, does he have what it takes? Absolutely not. So then what? What do we do? We turn to Jesus. Jesus did have what it takes. He did love God with all his heart, all his soul, all his strength, all his mind. He did become a neighbor to his enemies, loved them as himself, gave up his life. We can never meet that standard, but we don't have to. We just have to turn away from our way, turn to God, trust him, believe in him. Realize that, that Jesus is the ultimate servant. Jesus served us in this ultimate way. So if we have that foundation as the, the basis for our service, then it, it allows us to, it affects the way that our service is shaped. You know, it gives us these characteristics. So we're going to go back through looking at the parable, looking at how the, um, how the Samaritan served, knowing that, that our service needs to be based on the gospel. We need the gospel. What does it look like if we have it? What does it look like if we serve out of this foundation of the gospel? So we see four characteristics in here that I want to draw out. Awareness, compassion, generosity, and ownership. So the first one, awareness. Verse, uh, verse 33. Right, a Samaritan on his journey came up to him and we saw the man. He had compassion. So the Samaritan is, has awareness of this man who is suffering. Right, one thing that, that's clear to us is that awareness by itself isn't enough. Because right? you remember the, the priest and the Levite, they also saw him. Right, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Levite arrived. He saw him pass by on the other side. But the Samaritan sees him, and he has compassion. So awareness isn't enough. What if we don't have awareness? Then we have no hope to 
to serve those in need. There are a couple reasons that we could we could be kind of missing those that we can become neighbors to. You know, maybe we're just in a kind of a, a Christian bubble where, you know, we're we're hanging out with our, our church friends, you know, or maybe one or two of our coworkers are, are Christians and we spend all our time at work with them. Maybe you're only hang, hanging out with those in your neighborhood that, that know Jesus. If the vast majority of our time is spent with Christians, then, you know, we could be serving them. And that's valuable, but, but we're also called to, to serve our enemies, right? Call, called to serve those that are outside the faith. Another way that we could lack awareness is that we're just not invested in, in people to really hear, hear their needs. Maybe you're just surface level as you go around and have conversations and, and you're, not, you're not invested enough so that people feel comfortable sharing their, their needs with you. If you don't have, you know, if you don't have the awareness of, of those around you that, that need you to be a neighbor to them, let's pray that, that God would reveal that to you. Reveal those in your life that, that you can serve. An example of, of awareness from elsewhere in the scriptures comes from Galatians chapter 2, 9 and 10. Paul is, is um, you know, he's explaining to the Galatians kind of his, um, that he has the stamp of approval basically from the apostles, right? So he's, he's telling them about his interactions with them. You know, he says when, when James, Cephas, and, and John, those recognized as, as pillars, when they acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. Remembering the, the poor is, is one step in, to awareness. It can be easy to, to forget the poor. It can be easy to forget those around us that, that have needs. You just kind of get in the, in the throes of life, going from, from day to day, doing your thing, and you just forget that that there are those around you that are struggling, that need your service. You have to be intentional with how you spend your time, how you spend your money. Make sure that you're thinking of others. Who can you become a neighbor to that you're just not even noticing? The next characteristic that we see is, is compassion. Samaritan came up to him. When he saw the man, he had compassion. He shows that by, by banding, bandaging his wounds. He poured on olive oil and, and wine. The Samaritan shows compassion to this man. He, he comes and he, he feels with him. He, he joins in his suffering. One of the things that, that really stands out about Jesus, one of his characteristics in, in the Gospels, is his compassion. That's, that's literally like his whole life was compassion because he he left heaven where he was, wasn't suffering at all. He came down and he, he suffered with us. You know, that, that C-O-M prefix of community, compromise, that, that, that withness, that passion, that, that feeling. He, he had compassion. He came and he felt with us. One of the, uh, you know, 
very memorable stories of, of Jesus' compassion is when, when Lazarus has, has died. Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters, they, when Lazarus was sick, they called to, to Jesus, sent for him, and, and Jesus came, and as he was on the way, Lazarus died. Jesus knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Mary and Martha didn't know that. You know, they came to Jesus, and they were, they were weeping, they were crying. They were sad. When Jesus saw her crying, this is John eleven thirty three. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Jesus feels with them. He's about to raise them from the dead, but that doesn't stop him from, from weeping with them. Just a, just a picture of, of who Jesus was that he felt with, with them. He feels with us. He feels the suffering that, that we suffer. What does compassion look like in your life? Who do you know that's, that's facing suffering? How can you feel with them? Just one small caveat here. Sometimes there can, there can be this mindset of, of only wanting to to kind of sit in the suffering, right? Only, only listen. I don't think, I don't think that's, that's too much of a risk, but we, we do want to help people get out of the, the suffering. Point them, to, point them to Jesus. Maybe you have, you know, an, an accountability partner and, and they are just continuing to suffer in the, the same sin, never making any progress on it. That's not okay. You don't want to leave them in that. I know it's hard, but but you have to get out of it. Let me bring you to Jesus. I want to feel with you. I want to feel your suffering, but I don't want you to stay there. Right? I want I want us to get out. That's what Jesus did for us. He came and he joined in our suffering to give us a way to get out of it. Give us hope. Third characteristic that we see in the Samaritan is is generosity. Right, this kind of service from the Samaritan is is so generous. He stopped on his journey. He went over to him. He bandaged his wounds, poured on olive oil and wine. He put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, so this is this is his whole day. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. This is costly help. Right? These, these two denarii, that, that's enough for several weeks in an end. It's generous to take somebody to a hotel and give them several weeks' worth of stay. This isn't you know, at a at a stoplight, handing a homeless person a couple bucks and just driving away. This is costly help, time, money. This is generosity. Another example of generosity in the Bible comes from the church in Antioch. You know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but in um, 
Acts chapter 11, verse 27, it says some, some prophets came down from, from Jerusalem to Antioch. <clears throat> One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. So this, this famine is coming. It's coming for them too. You know, there will be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. The famine is coming for them, but instead of hoarding what they have, they're generous with it. They're not just, you know, going ahead and setting aside their stuff because they know that they're going to suffer. Rather, they're generous. They're giving according to their ability. So what does it look like for you to to be able to to be generous? We have to leave room in our in our time, in our budget, in our schedule, to be able to to use it to be generous with others. Last week I got um official paperwork from HR at my work that you know I got a promotion coming. So very excited about that. You know, moving up a, a level in the company, more money coming my way. It's so easy, you know, for for me and Jess to talk about all the things that we could do with that money. Right, we can get nicer cars, nicer furniture, upgrade our, you know, do some, some work in our house or whatever. It's so easy to, to think selfishly with that money. All the things that we can do to make our lives better. We have so many ideas of, of what we can do before, you know, we think about the opportunity taking that opportunity to be generous. Thinking of, of myself in the Samaritan's shoes here, it kind of, it, number one, it's convicting, of course. Number two, it, it just kind of stresses me out just imagining taking my whole day into the next day, spending this, all this time and, and money to, to serve someone else just imagining trying to catch up from that is is stressful. If that's you, see what you can do to to build in some some bandwidth. How can you have some time to, to be generous, to serve others? How can you set aside a portion of your, your budget to be able to give to those in need, be able to serve others? How can you be generous? The last element of gospel-driven service that I want us to, to look at is, is ownership. The Samaritan sees the man. He has compassion on him. He's generous with him. There's no indication in here that as the Samaritan you know, checks the guy first to see if he's worth it, to see if he's worthy of it. Right? He doesn't see if, is this a Samaritan or a Jew? Is this one of my family members? Is this somebody that, that I should help? Shouldn't somebody like a priest or a Levite be the one to help him? There's none of that. He sees the man. He takes ownership. I am the one to serve this guy because I am the one that's here. This is a stark contrast to the to the lawyer as he's asking this question, who is my neighbor? Trying to justify himself, trying to, to rule people out 
the Samaritan sees this man on the side of the road and he says, this is my neighbor because I can become a neighbor to him. He's not, yeah, he's not looking to, he doesn't have this this default of of no, of, of not looking for these opportunities to serve. Rather, he's, He's in this this yes mode of of how he can how he can serve how he can follow God. Another example of of this ownership beyond beyond what you you know beyond yourself is as as Paul is describing the Macedonian Christians in the book of Second Corinthians. Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, and he says, "We want you to know." brothers and sisters about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. These Macedonians are, are facing extreme poverty. You would think that if you're facing extreme poverty, you're going to be hyper-focused on yourself, making sure you have enough to survive. Instead, they're so moved by, by Paul's struggle, they're so moved by Paul's trial and, and his mission to bring the gospel to the nations that, that they're willing to suffer even more. They give above and beyond their means to support Paul's mission his ministry, because they see it as theirs. This is our mission. This is our ministry. They take Paul's mission and they make it theirs. I say this kind of thing all the time, but but we are made for something that's so much bigger than us. We're called to a mission that's so much bigger than us. And so if we're, if the only thing that we feel like we own is, is our own life, our own happiness, then we're missing so much of what God has called us to do. So let's take ownership of, of something that's bigger than us. So as we come to a close, I want us to, to reflect back on on these two ideas, asking two questions. First of all, is the gospel the basis for your service? Are you coming to, to Jesus like this expert in the law? Wanting to test him, wanting to justify yourself, wondering what you have to do to inherit eternal life? Or have you realized the futility of that, of trying to earn eternal life? You're not worried about what you have to do because you remember what Jesus has already done. Jesus has already done what we can never do. If we spend the rest of our life sinning, never do anything to to serve others, we can still have eternal life because it's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has already done. Is the gospel the basis for your service? So if we understand the, the the truth of the gospel, it should drive us into service. So that's the next question. Are you allowing the gospel to drive you into service? Are you paying attention to to those suffering around you? 
Are you, are you aware? Are you showing compassion? Remembering the, the great compassion that Jesus has showed to you? Are you building in buffer in your time and your budget so that you can be generous? And finally, are you taking ownership? Not, not in this no mode of, of ruling all these opportunities out because they don't fit you, but rather looking for opportunities to say yes to. When we believe the gospel, when we remember that Jesus gave us everything, that we have this, this purpose of, of glorifying God, it should be so easy for us to serve. The gospel should drive us into serving this church family by coming early to the community center to set up. It should drive us into relationships with our neighbors, even if it's draining because your neighbor just wants to complain or, or gossip or that kind of thing. You're energized because Jesus died for you. To drive us to, to take the gospel of the nations. It's really a sacrifice to, to leave our, our friends and family to, to move to a different country, but, but Jesus gave us everything, so it's worth it. When we allow the gospel to drive our service, we're not measuring things like the world does. We don't need to measure up. We don't need to compare ourselves to others and how we're serving. Rather, we remember what Jesus has done for us. We look back in thankfulness at that. We look forward to the time when suffering goes away. And we look around at, at who we can become a neighbor to. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your kindness and your grace to us. Thank you for for the story of, of this good Samaritan. Knowing that we can never do enough to inherit eternal life. We can never be good enough. We can never love you enough. We can never love our neighbors enough. But you did. We can rest in that truth, rest in you, knowing that you are the way, you're the truth, you're the life. You're only hope for coming to the Father. Pray that you would help us to, to do that, to believe in you, to rest in you, and to allow that, that truth, that foundation to drive us into serving others. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.